All right, so um, we see Paul, he, he, again, he leaves Apollos in Corinth and, and gets to Ephesus and finds some disciples. Now, something to notice when you look at the word disciple, disciple, what does the word disciple mean? Okay, is a learner, student. Okay, that's the idea. So every, not everywhere you see the word disciple in Scripture does it mean a follower of Christ or a believer. Okay, it can, it's just uh, the word means learner, follower, you know, somebody that's learning or so on. So in this context, the word disciple does not necessarily instruct us as these were believers as we uh, see as it uh, unfolds. Okay. So picking up in verse number two, he said to them, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, again, Luke is writing the book of Acts and he's not giving us Paul's every conversation. So we have to understand Paul didn't meet 12 men on the road. And the first thing he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you got saved? Okay, this, this is not the, the first question that he asked them. Most likely, uh, just looking at the, what's going on, he was chatting with them and, and getting a feel from who they were uh, and probably talking with them. Come to find out, they, they call themselves disciples. And so through the course of a conversation, uh, Luke is highlighting the, the importance of this conversation and where Paul was going. And so as we look at this, it's good for us to see it and see that Paul uh, most likely had, we don't know the length of conversation here, but in the conversation, he's pointing because of something he's most likely heard or whatever. He's going uh, directly to a specific uh, point uh, talking about the Holy Spirit here. Okay, He said to them, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, and they responded to them, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Okay, Well, what does that tell you about their uh, belief? It's lacking something, right? If, if they don't know there's a Holy Spirit, then they've not fully been informed of the gospel and what the gospel teaches. And Paul goes from asking them if they receive the Holy Spirit to talking about baptism. Why do we think those two go together? Do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. So why do, you, why do we think Paul would say... Um, would bring in this idea of baptism here. Do we have any thoughts? I do. So if you don't, I can tell. Right. So Christianity was still, although you know, in Acts nineteen, we're we're many years into uh, Christianity being rolled out and understanding. We've seen the, the Holy Spirit given multiple times, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Um, but Paul has a specific reason that he's rolling this out when he's talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. And he said in verse 3, uh, they, in verse 2, they answered, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And then he says here in verse 3, and he said to them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said to him, John's baptism. All right. And so at this time and even into uh, the second century, there was a group of people um, that were followers of John the Baptist. Uh, and they, they were, uh, they believed in John the Baptist and, and they almost like a separate identity of belief it wasn't they weren't following christ they were following john the baptist okay and that was just something that was going on and most likely that's where uh, we find these believers now this is uh just something from when you look at history and what was going on and them saying well we were baptized in the john the baptist um you know john the baptist had been dead for a little while by this time and so uh they were following in the footsteps of him. So Paul asking, well, then what were you baptized? 
and they said into the baptism of John the Baptist. And Paul says, well, John the Baptist uh, baptized, uh, was a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. This is, uh, that is in Jesus, okay? So Paul's instructing these 12 men that John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance and a baptism of pointing to Christ coming. It's not the same baptism that we uh, partake in as believers. All right? And what does Jesus say in um, Matthew 28, 19? Do we know anyone? Do we have any... Anybody that knows that off heart, act, uh, Matthew 28, 19. What, it, what do we see that is an instruction from Jesus? It says, uh, it says first all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 18. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, right there. That, that's the key part, okay? So Jesus himself says you need to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is, and so uh, here at Orchard Hills, we baptize, and when we do, we always say we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that is the command of Jesus here. And so, if these men say, "Hey, we've believed, but they've never heard of the Holy Spirit," then they weren't baptized the way that you would baptize a believer. Is it, you understand the correlation of why Paul would say, then what baptism were you, if you've not even heard of the Holy Spirit, then you were obviously not baptized uh, correctly and you've been misinformed. And I think they had a, the right heart. They were desirous, uh, but they were just misinformed or uh, still under John's teaching, which has uh, passed away and now we're under uh, Christ and the new covenant because John was only his only purpose was to point people to the coming Messiah and then John went away and the coming Messiah Jesus took the limelight and and, and um, was there for three and a half years okay and then he died and we get into Acts and we're unfolding through Acts the workings of the Holy Spirit and how that comes about, proper baptism, and all of those things, okay? So we understand here that these men were not truly believers. They believed, and then when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, you might, uh, the Lord Jesus, you might say, well, you just told us that he has to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son. Okay, Luke is not writing every idea, okay? The idea is he was baptized not into John the Baptist baptized. He was baptized in the name of Jesus under, the, under that, okay? So am I making, is, is this understandable? Is this coming together? Are you understanding Paul's idea, or purpose in talking about baptism is to bring up the Holy Spirit, and that's how we are baptized today is... Uh, Understanding that, yes, ma'am. Uh, you could say so. The first baptism, they just got wet, really, because if you're not a believer, uh, your baptism is just an extra bath that day. So. I don't. I don't think he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was baptized by those that taught that idea, and it was in it was a, it was a group that were following the teaching still of John the Baptist. Mom, did you have a comment? Yeah, John's baptism was it took place at a different time before Christ came. So it says in the text there was a baptism of repentance. Right. Before to Christ, they were recognizing their need for a savior. And in, I think it's Matthew 3 says that um, John baptizes with water, but Jesus is going to come and baptize with uh, fire, talking about judgment, with the Holy Spirit, um, talking about the Pentecost. And this 
um, is a, a separate factor. So drought factors is just what the board talk about their need for a savior, um, and then the, the new testing Christian baptism that we know in practice today is identifying with Christ and recognizing the spiritual baptism that took place when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit when we believed. Okay, so yes, they were baptized twice, um, but two completely different baptisms, two different purposes within them. Okay. And when Paul had uh, laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Okay, so um, some things to notice again, this is Acts. This is transitional. This isn't normal. Okay. When a person accepts Christ as their Savior today, the Holy Spirit immediately comes upon them. Uh, but we don't see them beginning speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay, and so understanding. Now, there's four times in Acts that this is mentioned. Okay, four times. This is the fourth time uh, that this is mentioned. The first time is in Acts 2 at Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit poured out upon the Jews, right? And this was several months ago that we learned this, but in Acts 2, the, the, believer, the believing Jews, uh, and then they uh, received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues and, 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 and did those things. And then uh, in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, okay, this is after persecution had arose, and they fled, all right? And um, you get to Samaria, and half-Jews... Uh, were given the Holy Spirit in this one, and they prophesied. And, and Peter came down, and remember that whole scenario, right? Peter came down, he laid hands on him, and it was a very transitional time, and Jews were struggling. Well, salvation is for the, the Samaritans, which we hate, and this is new, and so there's a lot of teaching going on. And then the next time we see it is in Acts 10. All right, in Acts 10, remember, we see Peter's in a, on the top of a house. He gets this vision of a sheet, right, and all kinds of animals and so on. And then he goes to uh, Caesarea, and there's a man there, and he's named, he's uh, is, is a, uh, uh, um, a centurion, okay, or uh, he's in the military, all right, and he's, he's mentioned as a God-fearing uh, Gentile. And he and his family and those that were in the house were given uh, the, the Holy Spirit and they began to prophesy and so on. And so we see half Jews in chapter 8. So we see only Jews in chapter 2, half Jews in chapter 8, full Gentile family in chapter 10. And then now we see 12 men here uh, in chapter 19 uh, receive the Holy Spirit and begin to, uh, to speak in tongues as evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is a sign and evidence of. That's, that's the reason why it's written here, so that you can see the sign and the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Uh, and this was done in Acts for the purpose of being able to see that and so that they could see uh, the difference and, and realize what was going on. Okay, Scripture was in the process. The New Testament was in the process of being written. Um, and so the reason why we know um, if you were if you were uh, sh that the gospel was shared to you without you being able knowing the word of God or hearing the word of God, the gospel was shared to you and and God uh, opened your heart to it and you were saved and you had never read the scripture. How how, how many of you think you would know you had the Holy Spirit? You wouldn't. There's nothing that happens. Okay? But the reason why we know we have the Holy Spirit is because the Bible teaches that. And as we learn that, we see the acts of the Holy Spirit in our life, right? We can, we can tell what the Holy Spirit is doing. And that day, they didn't have the Word of God to tell them, well, you have the Holy Spirit, the whole, the, the, the Holy Spirit living with that. So there was signs and stuff being given at that time so people could tell, hey, you do have something different.
okay? And that's what's going on. This is the last time we see uh, something of that kind in the book of Acts, okay? So there's four of them, Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19, all right? So Paul chats with them and then moves straight into the synagogues, okay, in verse number 8. And this is kind of our next section, uh, verses 8 through 10. And he entered the synagogues and continued speaking out boldly for three months. So he was planning on being there for a while, speaking to them in the synagogues for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Okay, so we're going to stop right there just for a second. Uh, He was speaking boldly. Okay, about the things of God for three months, reasoning and persuading them. Okay, the word persuading there has the idea of speaking bold truth. Okay, it's persuasive speech that is true and is boldly spoken. All right, some people can speak persuasively false. Right, they're 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 lying. But man, they are persuasive in their lying abilities. Here that the the idea is Paul is speaking truth and it's very persuasive uh, in in nature uh, and the way that it's being um, relayed, okay? About the kingdom of God and the things of God. All right, in verse number nine, and when uh, some were becoming hardened and disobedient and speaking evil of the way, we know the way is Christianity, those that follow Christ before the people. Okay, so some were coming uh, hardened in their hearts. They were growing tired and weary of Paul coming for the last three months speaking. Uh, And we know that Paul... um, was very passive and um, didn't really speak out boldly, right? He was just kind of passive and, you know, it's good to do right things, right? No, Paul was, what says he's speaking boldly here, persuasively, all right? And Paul probably hit uh, a lot of nerves and some people at the end of these three months were were getting tired of it. They'd had enough, okay? And so they began to speak evil of the way of the people, spreading false rumors, all kinds of things uh, before the people. Uh, So Paul, uh, he uh, withdrew from them. Now, this next phrase, I think, is important. He withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of the that place okay so that school is just an area now um, we're going to talk a lot more about Ephesus uh, and in and the city itself uh, in next week's lesson because uh, it gets into a lot of that but understanding Ephesus was a huge metropolis port city uh, if you want to think in our modern day you can think of New York Seattle um, San Francisco, you know, L.A. area, just huge, uh, you know, a lot of big buildings and so on. And so there was a school there and um, they were able to rent that, rent that out. And so but what I wanted to kind of bring out to you is Paul, uh, a lot of times we see that persecution comes against Paul and and that kind of speaks. And he'll stay there and defend himself and and go back and forth and just debating and saying, hey, you know, this is the truth, whether you like it or not. Here we don't see that. We see there's an uproar within the synagogue of people that are wanting to cause problems and are spreading uh, lies and deceit about the way or or Paul and those that are following him. So Paul does something interesting here. He withdraws himself and takes away his disciples. These most likely were young believers that were just learning, and he draws them away, I believe, to protect them. And he spends the next two years 
training and teaching in this school atmosphere uh, with these uh, with these disciples and others. Uh, this took place for two years, verse number ten, so that all who uh, lived in Asia were or heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, and so the word spread and. Wouldn't it be an amazing opportunity to uh, to sit in a classroom like this for two years with Paul? Wouldn't that be awesome? And that's what was going on here. So Paul withdrew from the synagogue, said, "Hi, you guys want to treat me this way and, and treat basically God this way and spread false." Uh, false accusations and, and, and slander uh, the, the followers of Christ, uh, I'll withdraw from you and I will teach those that want to hear the Word of God and have a desire to hear the Word of God. And so Paul stays there. This is one of his longer uh, times that he stays in a city for over two years. All right. And so technically here, if you put the two together, it's two years and three months, right? Because he, he spent three months in the synagogue and now he's been here. And we're going to get into things as we go on uh, that happened while Paul was in Ephesus. But um, very interesting situation here. He goes into the city. First thing he meets is those 12 men, shares the gospel, the truth about the Holy Spirit and how and how he does come into the life of a believer and and baptizes them into uh, into Christ and, and then moves straight into teaching into the synagogues and, and is boldly persuasive. Uh, what's interesting is you look at this reasoned and uh, persuading them, even Paul uh, in his persuasion was not able to convince everyone so not just because you're very clever on how you share the word of god and and you come up with clever ways and and you think that you're really persuasive understand it is the power of god that works on their heart doesn't matter how persuasive persuasive you are just yeah i was gonna say even if you're like Even if you're Paul the Apostle, it doesn't mean that they're going to believe. Okay? Paul had no power to make them believe. Only God does. Okay? Any other thoughts on that section? Questions? Okay, we're going to, we're going to get into some <clears throat> interesting things going on here. Okay? Very, very interesting. Change the next page. Um, yeah. Okay. City of Ephesus. Just give a little background. We'll talk about it maybe some more next week. Was uh, there's a huge temple in the city of Ephesus. Do we know which one that was? Temple to who? Diana. Okay. This temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. Okay. Took 10 years to build. It had um, countless, I mean, it had tons of pillars. It, it makes, um, you know, the, um, uh, my mind just went blank. Anyways, it was massive. Okay, I, I've seen pictures of it. Uh, the, the, the one, the video that I watched on it, they had it all in, uh, non-american measurement so i don't know how i will have that for you next week because it'll make more uh, we'll get into that more next week but the goddess there this this was a very uh central belief in the city that several different um places of uh of worship or whatever what would uh, what what we would consider worshiping of foreign gods in multiple different areas around the city. Uh, the main one being the, the temple uh, of the goddess Diana, which was her main function was of uh, uh, fertility. Okay, she was a goddess of fertility and also uh, warrior women, which I find uh, interesting, especially in that day and age. 
All right, so uh, the, the culture was very much around um, the idea of witchcraft and uh, believing in false gods and, and idols and, and so on. And so this was what made up the city of Ephesus. It was, this was a main function of the city of Ephesus, uh, just as if you were to go into Vegas or, or any of the other cities that I had mentioned, you know you're not going you're, you're to have an overwhelming presence of evil and wickedness in the city. Okay? I don't know how many of you have been to these big cities. Uh, most of them don't give you, uh, hey, this is a peaceful, calm place of God. All right. No, no. I mean, even you go into Salt Lake anymore and it doesn't feel like a peaceful, calm place uh, where God dwells. All right. And so uh, that's the city of Ephesus. All right. Massive uh, place. Now, Paul um, is given some extraordinary. Um, and again, remember, this is um, specifically given to Paul. OK. God was performing extraordinary uh, miracles, and this is verse 11, by the hand of Paul, so that a handkerchief or an apron were even carried from the, his body, okay, so somebody touched him with those items, and took to the sick and disease, the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out, okay, and so uh, this is very unique. Now, we've seen there's, there's been um, televangelists, right? They get up and they start speaking loud and they're on their, their platform in front of their TV and they're um, sweating you know, profusely and they're preaching and they're, they're giving their spill or whatever. They're, uh, and they, they get a handkerchief and they, they wipe their head off, okay? And they say... You can have this for uh, only $5,000 and it will heal what ails you. And they take it out of this passage like they have some crazy power because they are an evangelist, the, you know, that they proclaim to be of God. And, and, some, and a lot of them look at passages like this and that's where they get that craziness from. All right? And, and those of us in here would see that as crazy, but there's people that stay up I was sick several months ago, and I was out on the couch. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't sleep. So I, want, I just turned the TV on to see, uh, you know, for noise. And I, I couldn't believe what was being said from this televangelist on the screen about what, you know, if you just give $1,000, it will sow this seed and so on. Anyways, crazy, crazy stuff. But this was actually going on. All right. So understand if uh, if I ha if you come up and touch me or Jeremy or Tyler with a handkerchief and take it to your sick loved one, it's just going to make them more sick. All right. It's not going to do any good for them. All right. This is directly given and it's to show the power of God on him on directly on Paul and to proclaim God's glory. Okay. And so, but it's, it's very a bizarre miracle. People were touching him with their cloths and their napkins and then taking it at home and touching their loved ones. And they were becoming, or they were become healed. Okay. Very bizarre, uh, weird stuff going on. Cool, but weird. Okay. Um, now, in verse 13, this next section here, this goes from 11 to 16. This was going on uh, with Paul. He was healing the, the um, people that had demons and so on were coming out of them. All right, that was going on. In verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went, uh, who went out uh, from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirit, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by, uh, you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Okay, seven sons of Savannah. Uh, yeah, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. All right, so seven sons of this chief priest. Now, 
Um, I'm not 100% on this. Uh, I was in my study. Uh, this priest is not found in the records. All right. And so there's most likely this was a false, uh, chief, false priest, chief priest, uh, just to gain a name for himself and so on. Uh, that, that's most likely what's going on here. And his seven sons were uh, exorcists and, and were able to uh, seemingly cast spirits out of people. Okay, I'm not going to get into a lot of that. Some of that can go on by different means. But that's not the point of this story. They were attempting to do this. And uh, God uses wickedness of people in peculiar ways. Okay. And these men were wicked. And when we taught uh, in Sunday school class and the Romans class on Sunday um, about uh, the God uses all things for good. Okay. And you would think, well, this is one of those situations where you think, well, how can seven men trying to uh, proclaim God's glory, you know, and, and naming the Lord's name and the Lord of Paul and trying to cast out demons. How is this going to uh, come out for good? All right. These men are obviously doing it for self-recognition and, and so on. And we see that uh, several times in the New Testament where men are, are doing these things for financial gain, so on and so forth. Okay. So uh, we see that going on. Now, uh, in verse 15, we find a very interesting turn of events. All right. The evil spirit answered and said to them. So these men had said, come out. All right. He's speaking to this individual and he's the seven uh, sons of the, the chief priest says, come out of him. And in verse 15, and the evil spirit answers and said to them. I, re I, I recognize Jesus, okay, the, the spirits that we know from the Gospels, right, that the spirits know who Jesus is and they cry out, please don't harm us, you know, don't, you know, send us into the swine or, and so on. So they recognize who Jesus is, all right, and, and he says, and we know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> right? This demon is sitting there and he says, who, who are you? Who are you to tell me to come out? All right? You can see this, uh, like, dumbfound face looked on this demon-possessed man. All right? And the men in whom the, and the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them. <laughs> If that wasn't freaky enough that this guy is speaking to you in an obviously demon-possessed way, that's freaky enough to make me run, all right? I'm not sticking around saying what's going on here, all right? I have the power of Christ within me, but I'll let God handle that. I ain't, I'm not getting involved. And it's, that's freaky enough, but not only that, this man leaps upon them and uh, uh, upon them all of them and overpowers them. Okay, one man with demon possessed versus seven men. All right, and he overpowers them. <laughs> it gets really funny. So that they fled out of the house naked. Okay, he beat them up so much that he stripped their clothes off of them and made them bloody, wounded, all right? So this is what, I mean, this is why I said this is kind of a bizarre chapter. There's some weird stuff going on here. But this man, uh, they go into this house saying, hey, you need to come out of him. He says, I don't know who you are, but I am going to kick your butt. And he, uh, he, weighs, he, he, yeah. Yeah, it, it's so much so that it, it, it does some interesting things in the city. And this, again, is evidence that God uses things for his glory, even though in the circumstance it looks quite odd. Or like, I'm not sure how seven men running out of a house naked and beat up are going to glorify God in any way. But, okay, we'll trust you on this, Lord, that all things work together for good. Yeah, it's it's 
You know, and I don't want to make light of demon possession at all. It's a serious thing. And it's not something that you and I want to play with at all. All right? We don't want to get involved in exorcists and, and getting involved in all of that. We have the power of Christ in us. And we have nothing to be fearful of the devil as far as an attack on us. But we don't need to, uh, in, in, to involve ourselves in that. It is a very real, obviously real thing. Um, I had some acquaintances of ours and friends of ours uh, when I was a kid. Uh, that they ran a girls' home in Rosarito, Mexico. And it was a compound where they would send troubled girls to. And I remember them telling it was a husband and wife, uh, two husband and wife teams that worked there. And this young lady, probably the size of Michaela or maybe a little smaller, um, about 16 years old, comes down out of the upstairs uh, in rebellion, and she's not wearing any clothes, uh, she, and she is possessed. And they proceed to tell us that they were throwing them, she was throwing the men off of her. They, couldn't, they could not control this young lady because of the power of the spirit that was in. So it's not something to play with. It's not something to joke about. Uh, it is just a little bizarre that he mentions the fact that he beat them up and stripped them naked and sent them out of the house. Okay. It's kind of funny um, in, that, in that regard. All right. And so here we're going to read from this point in verses 17 through 20. The result of that situation is what brings about the glory of God. And we're going to, sometimes we don't see uh, how God is glorified quickly. In this circumstance, we do see that, all right? So uh, someone wants to read, uh, let me see here. Yeah, 17 through verse 20. 17 through verse 20. Okay. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning down in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Okay, so we don't know at what point in the two years of Paul's ministry that this happened there in Ephesus. But Paul, you know, through Paul's ministry and what's going on, there's becoming a great uproar, uh, or not uproar, uprising of believers in the city of Ephesus. And this is a big deal. As I mentioned, Ephesus was not known at that point as a, as a Christian uh, city. And many believe, many were believing, and they were leaving. They, they call this um, book burning, okay, chapter. Now, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on here, but this was a major deal. The, the people in the region and in Ephesus heard of these 12 or these seven men that the, the spirit and, 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 and re relating what was going on with Paul and fear came upon them. And what, what was said? The Lord was magnified, right? His name was lifted up and great fear came upon the people. And, and many of those believed and kept coming, confessing and uh, disclosing their practices. All right. They were confessing that they were practicing sorcery and, and all kinds of wicked things. And they were bringing their sorcery books and their, their, their books of, uh, of wrong um, teachings and, and, and so on. And they brought them and they burned them. All right. Now, just as a matter, the price here is given for a specific reason. It was a massive ordeal. Okay. 50,000 pieces of silver, all right, relays to a piece of silver would be a day's wage for a common worker. A day's wage for a common worker, okay? So 50,000 days wages for a common worker. If you were to translate that into today's, I just did simple math of $15 an hour uh, times, you know, the 
without taxes and stuff being taken out. Anyways, it's around $6 million worth of books that were built or burned. Okay? This isn't going to be mentioned here in dollar amounts if it was just a simple little tiny dollar amount. This is a major ordeal. Six, you know, some, several millions of dollars in today's thought process of books that were being burned and uh, people were coming to Christ in droves in this city, uh, which is an amazing, an amazing ordeal. So that the word, verse 20, so that the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Okay? It was growing. The spreading of God and, and his good news and the glory of God and what he was doing in the city was spreading and he was prevailing. And the glory of God is always uh, the purpose in all of this, is to see him glorified. And so as you read and you think, how can God be glorified in such wickedness, in such evil times, in such hard times? We can see that God can use any circumstance and bring it about to his glory. Sometimes we see it immediately. Sometimes it, you know, we don't see it in our lifetime, but it does bring God glory. And here is one of those instances where God starts off in verse 11 performing extraordinary miracles with Paul. And then in steps these seven men that think, well, I can do that. Paul's doing it. And then they come to meet somebody that um, shows them otherwise, sends them home crying. Um, and that story spread throughout all. All right. it, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, Payson's a small town. Something that size went on, and probably the majority of Payson would hear about it, right? Payson doesn't come within even a drop of the size of the size of, uh, you know, we're looking probably the size of Orem and Provo or maybe a little bigger. Um, it, it's the group of the size of Ephesus, 250, 300,000 people. Okay, when, when the entire city knows of it, it's a big deal. And that spread wildfire. Uh, and God's name was glorified, and so much so that sorcerers and people with wicked books of all kinds of uh, anti God material uh, brought them confessing and burned them, uh, which is a big deal. It's a big deal to, to go all the way to burning. So, so often we'll see people come to Christ, but they hold on to their past. They hold on to the wickedness that they, they had. They've come to Christ, and it takes them a long time. These people saw it and said, we don't want anything to do with it, and, and burned those and verse 20 is a great verse. And his mag, uh, the Lord was growing uh, mightily and prevailing. He was prevailing in the city. He was showing his power there. Now, in the second half of this uh, chapter, there continues to be some, some pretty interesting stuff that goes on with Paul and, and, and within the city. But... Um, yeah, interesting stuff going on in the book of Acts. Remember what Acts is. We, we keep reminding you this. It's a transition book. This isn't normal stuff. Uh, but it's amazing when you see the, the hand of God and what God can do uh, through a man, Paul, and, and, and maybe gives us some insight on how we can uh, understand Paul's way of speaking to, to men and, and using... Uh, the conversation to point them to a correct understanding of the Holy Spirit and a correct understanding of a believer's baptism and, and uh, uh, that Paul chose not to in verse uh, in the chose not to go to battle with these men in the synagogue but rather I'm going to pull the men uh, and most likely women that desire to know the things of God I'm going to pull them away and really ground them uh, in the Bible and to where they uh, know it. So much so that he stayed there for two years uh, doing Bible teaching 
uh, with uh, this group of people. So uh, that's, that's where we are in Acts. A lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, and, and seeing God magnified in so many different ways. So got about five minutes or so, five, ten minutes. Any, any thoughts or... But you don't see him challenging Paul, right? We've heard of this guy. We know he's connected with Jesus. We leave him alone. You seven? I don't know you. <laughs> uh, you have no power over me. He knew Paul did, right? Because he knew the God that Paul was preaching. And he knew that. He knew that. And so he didn't mess with Paul. But these men that falsely claimed the name of Christ, the devils know and say, eh, I ain't scared of you. You don't have no power in you. So much so that, yeah, it's interesting that you went all the way to stripping him naked. I just think, I just find that really interesting. Strip him naked and send him out bloody. So, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I well, both are spirits, so they live in the spirit world. So I, I'm, I would have to speculate along with you. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, they they heard of Paul by reputation, obviously. Um, they know Jesus. I mean, that there's no, we know that as Tyler just mentioned, an intimate knowledge of Jesus. How they know the difference between. A believer and a non-believer. Um, I would suspect it would have to be something with the Holy Spirit working in a spiritual way that we don't know. Um, because we have no fear of demons possessing us as believers, right? And the, the reason we have no fear of that is because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And He's not, he's not sharing room. So... Um, I would assume that because they were maybe not hindered from dealing with these people, these men, that they knew that they weren't believers or did not have the Holy Spirit. That's good observation. It is something that we need to remember, though, as believers. Uh, there's two things. We don't need to fear the, 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 the unseen world or the, the demon world or the the spiritual world. We don't need to fear it, but we do need to have a healthy respect of it and not tamper with it. And don't, don't go looking for places in trouble. Okay. Um, although they cannot harm you with inside, they can still harm your physical body. Okay? <laughs> um, my dad tells me, and I'll close with this. My dad told me of a story of um, him going to pick up a car and a man at the deal, which is a armed security guard at this uh, car place, um, 
started shooting at them, and it came to find they they were close in proximity where they could tell that there was something then super off with this guy, and he believed it had to do with demon possession. He was there with another missionary, and the guy was shooting rifles at him. You could hear the bullets flying over their head as they were dodging behind cars. Don't mess with it. Stay away from it. Uh, don't think that it's your job as a believer to be an exorcist, okay? Um, yes, ma'am. I think John McCarthy one time talked about how he tried to call out a demon out of a young woman there. She'd already turned over his desk and everything. It's like, I think I'm afraid here. But when he gave the gospel and she believed, it was gone. And he said, how do you think that we're going to do, tell Satan what to do when we don't even, we can't even tell our children to do? Uh, so we have to, like you said, be careful. And that's the man that needs a lot of people who knows the word of God to be able to do the word of God. And he said, I realized, I, I don't have that power. It's the power of the gospel. Power of the gospel. You have no greater power on earth than the power of the gospel. Okay, well, we will continue in Acts 19 next time we get together. Amen. Appreciate you folks. we have any announcements, Tyler? Nope. Continue to be in prayer for the prayer request we had tonight. Um, and we look forward to seeing your faces on Sunday. Ready to worship God. Amen? Yes. It is Veterans Day. Yes. You mentioned it again on Sunday as well, but I know Jerry served. Has anyone else served in the military? That's yeah. me. He's not in here. He doesn't count. <laughs> Jim. Well, we definitely do appreciate you. And he doesn't count either. He's not in here. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pray and continue fellowship. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are all powerful and all knowing and such a gracious and merciful and loving God. And Lord, we do thank you for the book of Acts and uh, what you show us through, uh, about yourself in the book and how gracious you are, Lord, and how uh, your name is magnified in very peculiar situations. Lord, again, we are so grateful for you in your name. Amen.